You can now listen to Conning the Con ad-free on Apple subscription and buymeacoffee.com forward slash Conning the Con. But that is not all you will find there. I've got two little words for you. Tonka Trilogy. If you know, you know, right? And if you don't, keep listening to Con in the Con and it will all become clear soon enough. And if you want a sneak peek, head over to at Con in the Con on Instagram and get a look at the lighter side of this, well, very heavy con story. Simply click the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts for ad-free and bonus content. Or if you aren't an Apple user, head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash con where on top of that ad-free and bonus content, you can access exclusive videos. You'll find all the links, as always, in the show notes. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Live on Fireside. Hello and welcome to Guilty Greenie, live on Fireside from the Climate Collab Auditorium. We are your imperfect hosts. I'm Kate Bagby. And I'm Sarah Ferris. And I don't know about you guys, but we are tired of perfectionism and trying to live more sustainably. So we're here today to chat about our own guilt, share our own journeys, and just add a bit of levity in our attempts and fails to be more eco-friendly. And I think you will all be maybe not so surprised to know that the fails will often outweigh the successes. And as Sarah said, we are going to share our own journeys, the good, the bad, and probably the laughable as well. 100%. Mine will be laughable. (laughs) I can tell you that much. Oh, (laughs) mine as well. Before we dive into our subject for today, which is all about our influences, the people Mm -hmm. who have influenced us in our lives, let the audience get to know you a little bit. Tell us about yourself. I'm Sarah Ferris and I am a Kiwi. And for those of you that are in America, that's a New Zealander because apparently some people don't know that. That's weird to me. That's the good old American education system for you. That's a thing, right? People don't know what a Kiwi is in America sometimes. Did you? Can I plead the fifth on that one? (gasps) (laughs) Did you just think I was calling myself a little furry fruit? I have so many questions about that, actually. (laughs) Furry fruit. No, I did, but I'm not certain that I learned that in formal education. How's that? Yeah, that's fair enough. It's probably not 
something you would learn in formal education. Tell me you've got kiwi fruit over there. Yes, we do. <laughs> anyway, that's me. I live in the UK now. I'm in London and I'm a podcaster. But yeah, that's me. The best thing I think about this whole uh, guilty greenie is I try to do my best, but I really haven't had the bandwidth to actually put any time into really delving into sustainability and doing the right thing. So I just want a cheat's guide. That's why I've tagged you in here, Kate, because I know that why you've roped me in. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) I can't be bothered reading. So I'm just going to ask you all the questions that everybody wants to know the answers to. Am I doing this right? Or am I doing it wrong? So you are the queen. Can you tell us why you're the queen of sustainability? Oh, that may be a, a stretch. I might be the troll under the bridge. That may be <laughs> you've got the you've got the crown. So you're a- <laughs> it's a little dingy. Um, <laughs> I have been working in the sustainability space for about eight nine years now. Started off as an influencer, the dirty influencer word. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that quickly branched out into all things sustainable living, travel. And for I have to apologize for anybody who can hear the lovely hammering noises happening. I thought you might be engaging in the troll under the bridge analogy. But Make we'll your own that. sound effects. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Now, I've branched into all things climate change related, whether that's at the individual level or looking at it more from the corporate or government or intergovernmental um, different organizations and understanding how we can all work together to bring about lasting change, but also understanding the unique roles we all have to play. And part of that is too often when individuals are speaking about tackling the climate crisis or living more sustainably, we put a lot of guilt onto ourselves as if we have to do everything. And by association, we then think we're not doing enough or we, we're not sure if we're doing the right thing. That's my problem. We live and we learn. And that's our aim for the Guilty Greenie is just to have a level of humility and a couple laughs along the way about just how complex actions can be. And I think this was somebody that I was listening to on your fireside chat, the Olympian Etienne, tell me his last name again. Stott, Etienne Stott. Right. And he said that unless we're living all in a cave, completely off grid, everybody's leaving a footprint. That's my starting point. I'm not going to end up there. So I'm not going to feel guilty that I'm leaving footprints, but I'm just going to try and step a little more lightly. What, you don't want to join me under the bridge, Sarah? Come on. (laughs) It's kind of cozy some days. (laughs) It's such a good point, though, that we operate in a current system where it does feel oftentimes the only thing we can do to be truly sustainable is live under a bridge. And so I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. Baseline right there, Sarah and I will not be trying to, you know, convince you that your life is going to be perfect or 100% anything because we are living proof. It is not. Mm -hmm. I like that. But there's going to be takeaways that we can put into practice. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, (laughs) maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid elephants. Sorry, Um, I'm just chewing. I'm just chewing right now. (laughs) Sarah has very naively asked me to issue her a challenge at the end of every show. We want individuals to have takeaways at the end of this and actionable items. So we'll make some fun little challenges. Get you started no matter where you're starting from. Love it. Speaking of starting from today, Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about who influenced you or what influenced you in your life to look at the world and think, I want to do better for people, planet, and animals. 
It's a really good question because I don't actually have that many who influences other than David Attenborough, who God love him, he better never die. And my children, I think, is probably one of my other biggest influences because it's them that I'm leaving the planet to. So there's that. But then I think probably my other biggest influence is where I was born. Not many people, I think, outside of New Zealand know this, but we are a really green country. We pride ourselves on it. We call ourselves 100% pure. It's our tagline. Come, you breathe fresh air. We're all mountains and sunshine and all that kind of thing. I grew up having that as a backdrop, but it wasn't until I had my own kids that I really realized how much the country was invested in it. We have things like uh, waste-free lunch boxes at school for kids. You would get like a little note in their lunch boxes saying, well done, you've had a waste-free lunch box. And that meant that you would have to basically buy a Tupperware or a plastic container that was reusable or whatever it was made out of, probably bamboo or something. And you would have little sections and they would eat out of these lunch boxes with no cling film or saran wrap, I think you call it in the US, or tin foil or anything like that. Anything that was uh, rubbish, they had to bring home with them. I think that kind of gets in the psyche of, of the kids really young. Then when we moved to the UK, it became blatantly obvious that that's not how the rest of the world thinks. I was horrified when I walked into the supermarkets and realized the amount of packaging on things was absolutely horrifying. And the resistance to change over here is quite frightening. So when I first came over, being the little tidy Kiwi that I am, I knocked on the, the head teacher at the school's door and said, hey, here's an idea. Do you want to introduce waste-free lunchboxes? The head teacher goes, I love it. It's a fabulous idea. But uh, yeah, nobody's going to buy into that. So I'm not even going to bother trying. And I was just like, wow. really? Yeah, that, wow. That's, that's the attitude. That was a shocking moment and it never fails to shock me going into a supermarket over here. It's like a game of pass the pass. You will buy a packet of something and then you'll take the top layer off and then, oh, surprise, there's another layer underneath. So you'll open that. Oh, surprise, it's in a little plastic container in the middle and then there's another plastic wrap. Are you just like, oh, for goodness sake, seriously, who's got time, one, to just keep unwrapping these bloody things and two, what the hell? Stop producing products like that. So yeah, I think those are my biggest influences that I can point to. And I can't claim to have been very sustainable all the way through my life at all. But I think there's been a massive shift in the last couple of years in our house to really try and drive that forward. And my kids are, are so on board and, and specifically with any sort of animal welfare and uh, that kind of thing. Let me ask you this then, Sarah. When your children were in primary school, and you went to the head teacher and you said, what about doing these sustainable lunch boxes, zero waste kind of lunch boxes? And essentially said, yeah, I love it, but that's just never going to fly here. Mm -hmm. Did you then kind of double down in your own household and say, well, even if I can't get the school to change things, whether it was a conscious thought or whether it was just something you were familiar with, did your children then go to school like zero waste lunches? Well, yeah, we definitely tried. I don't even have that kind of stuff in the house. It's all containers without matching lids, as the kids would say. Definitely, that is how we do it. And then over here, they have school dinners as well. So there was a lot of eating at school as well. Whenever it was lunchbox time, it was always waste-free. You reminded me of the dreaded Tupperware cabinet in every <laughs> home where is there's always more lids than bottoms. None of them match up. You don't oh. know how they came to be, but 
somehow you're going to make it work. And then you open that cupboard door and everything falls out. Everything falls out. Oh, yeah. Mine's above my fridge and I can't reach it without being on a step stool. So what I do is I just like (laughs) flick it open at the bottom and then just chuck it up there and hope it will not create an avalanche of Tupperware raining down. You know it will though, because there is no solution. I'm sorry if this is boring to anyone, but everybody's got a bloody cupboard like this in their house. There is no solution that I found sustainable or otherwise, that lets you stack those blooming things. No, it's a 50-50 chance whether it's going to rain Tupperware in my kitchen every time. It's a (laughs) really fun game I play with myself. Who wants an easy, complicated, free life, Sarah? Come on. (laughs) When you're talking about the lunchbox, it reminds me in the last several years, we've seen a rise of the bento boxes. Oh, yeah. I love those. It became very quickly divisive, though. You had so many people who were frustrated and essentially turned their backs on it because they said, who has time to do this when you have two working parents and you're you know, scraping by financially and you just want to throw something in there and go? Yeah, I've seen those videos and they are beautiful to watch, but they're a myth in every other parent's house, I'm sure. It becomes one of those unintentional, divisive actions. Yeah, that's not what my lunch boxes look like for my kids. Mine was literally whack open a packet of crisps, divide it between the three kids into the little containers. Maybe if I'm feeling good, cut up a few carrots and then a really crappy sandwich. I'm famous for crappy sandwiches. So <laughs> <laughs> what's, the, what's the sandwich go to? Oh my God. They all have their own things. It would be like a piece of ham. There's no two things in there at once. Not even peanut butter because you can't have nuts in school because everybody's allergic. I'm laughing because you're like, they're so crappy and struggling to describe. (laughs) That's how crappy they are. It's been been a long time since I've actually made them because my rule in my house was if you can reach the bench, you can feed yourself. So yeah, they basically have to make their own sandwiches or starve. God knows what they're putting in them. God knows. I just went to the supermarket today and my son was like, I need to get some sandwich fillings. I'm like, what? What are you going to put in there? And he goes, ham cheese. I'm like, oh my God, two ingredients. He's getting posh. Wait till he puts a condiment on there as well. He even asked if we had mayo. I was like, hello, of course we do. Well, that's my influences. What about yours? Because you've had a massive journey on this whole sustainability. I can't even say the word. That's how unfamiliar I am with it. Uh, (laughs) Sustainability. Why did you even get into it? Was there an aha moment for you? Yes and no. My parents are probably the biggest influence for me. We didn't grow up off the grid or anything like that. We just grew up with practices in our homes, such as we grew our own vegetables. We had chickens. I laugh looking back on it now because I still do some of the same things. But when I was growing up, I thought it was really embarrassing. My mom would wash off tinfoil and reuse it, or she would wash out a plastic sandwich bag and hang them out to dry And at the time, when you're younger, you just think, oh, why can't we just be like everyone else? Why can't we just fit in? And it made you feel a little bit awkward. I remember, speaking of school lunches, Lunchables had just come out and the Go-Gurts and all that individually wrapped plastic that you were talking about. Yes, they are shocking, aren't they? For bringing the kids in. So I never had one. We had either our lunch pails when we were younger or brown paper bag and we had sandwiches in those, you know, plastic bags that my mom would then wipe out and wash out and hang to dry and use them the next day. And I would be so jealous because I'd see people making these little Ritz crackers with ham and cheese and, you know, their condiment on them from their Lunchables. Looking back on it, it is laughable. I would sit there with homemade chocolate chip cookies. 
Oh, yeah. I know where this and is I, going. <laughs> I didn't want them. It was like the only time in my life I've been popular because I would trade them for their little packages of like Twinkies or something, and they would all want the homemade chocolate chip cookies. As a child, I was just like, oh, no, I want to be one of the cool kids. Give me a Lunchable. That's amazing, isn't it? How even your food gets influenced by kids. My husband had the same thing. His mum would pack him three cooler bags for his lunch when he was at high school. I was like, That's an overachiever right there. You're, she would be a bento box queen, that one. But he used to feed his sandwiches because he'd hate them. He'd either trade them for a tuck shop pie, like a cafeteria pie, or feed them to the horses on the way home. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> I get it. Though. I totally get it. Because when you're young, a lot of times you just want to fit in. So for me, it went from little sustainable habits were very normal to then when I went out on my own, I rebelled a little bit in the, the food department. I was like, oh, cereal in a plastic bag or soda or whatever it was. It became, I would say, really unsustainable, really wasteful. And then somewhere back in my 20s, my mid 20s, when I was living overseas, it was just lack of access to certain things. So I naturally fell back into I just make do with whatever I have and I reuse and reuse and reuse. And now it's just normal. It is funny that we're only talking about positive influences, but on the other side of that, we can talk about the people mm. who made us look at things a certain way and it wasn't necessarily a healthy way, such as wanting to trade homemade food for a lunchable. Yeah, 100%. Before you moved to the UK, did you have an experience where you found yourself falling into bad habits because that was the acceptable thing to do? Well, definitely when I came to the UK, because obviously I was fighting against it, but you can't actually fight against it when you've got only so many products that you can buy. Only recently, like probably in the last sort of two or three years on our high street, there's a refill larder where you can go and take your glass, whatever, and get them filled up with your pasta and your uh, rice. You can buy shampoo bars and things like that. I definitely feel when I came to the UK, I slid backwards. And it was funny when you talk about your mum, she was obviously ahead of her time. I don't know if it was also like maybe like a, a money thing as well. They were just more cautious about not being wasteful with money. I think our generation yeah. is a lot more wasteful with and disposable in our nature. My parents-in-law lived in the Cook Islands for about 10 or 12 years for work. It's absolutely idyllic. It's got a reef. It's your lagoons. It's absolutely gorgeous. But everything's super expensive to get there because everything's imported. You can see that your waste is going somewhere on that island and it's not being recycled. So she would be like your mum and washing out bags and nothing would be wasted. Absolutely nothing. In hindsight, she was just... So living it and seeing the impact of it, like disposable nappies. There's just piles of disposable nappies being mm. left on this island with nowhere to go. I'd come over there with my three kids and I'd be like, well, geez, I'm not going down that cloth nappy track. That seems like hell. I would now if I had young kids, it would be you kids are going to pee through that cloth. <laughs> I don't care. Um, <laughs> or whatever. Those products have come a long way as well. They're so much more user-friendly. Um, what they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. Yes, you're so right. That's great. That's a great way to put it. My grandparents were the same way. They're a product of the Great Depression. So everything was saved. Everything was reused. You learned how to can food in case 
times were tough and you didn't know if you were getting a paycheck, you needed food reserves. I understand not everyone's family was like that. Mine was based on where they lived in the United States and they were hit pretty hard by the Great Depression and just kind of passed down. It is interesting because it, it came from a financial place and now it's more coming from an environmental or sustainability space because as you said, we live in a disposable world. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new uh, tagline for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. I love it. I just slipped into a bit of an American accent then as well, I realized. As the show goes on, we might end up having me. I mean, it's a terrible American accent. Do you mimic accents? I have a little habit of it because, I mean, I don't sound like a Kiwi anymore and I don't sound completely like an English person. So I do have this habit of absorbing (laughs) That's how I am in the UK. I find myself slipping into the UK accent very easily. Yeah, but there's so many accents over here. That's the problem. Same in the the US. Yeah, pick a lane. Pick a lane. We've just got two accents in New Zealand. That's all you need. Even that's excessive. But we digress. Yeah, we, we did digress. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. You can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I was going to say, I made a little note when you were talking about the Lunchables. When I had really young, young kids, I was the super healthy mum who would make all the food and puree it, freeze it, blah, blah, blah. And there was never chocolate or fizzy drinks. I was really purist. And I remember one Christmas, all of the nieces and nephews are, are there and there's that crossover between family Christmas traditions and different families. And in the Christmas stocking, my kids had a little chocolate frog, like a chocolate Frito. Frito frogs, do you have those? No, all I could think of was Frito-Lay, like the little corn chips. And I was really questioning life at that moment. <laughs> no, it's the little chocolate frog. Add that one to the list of differences. Anyway, so <laughs> the Frito frog came out and my son goes, oh, a muesli bar. I honestly thought that a chocolate bar was a, a granola bar. That's how deprived How old he was. was he? If oh, you tell I me think... he was 15, I'm going to lie. Yeah, no, he was just turning 21. Uh, no, he was, uh, he, I mean, he was young. He was probably about 
to talking of sustainability, I couldn't sustain that level of parenting when the third one came. So they were all out the door by then. The one-year-old's chomping on chocolate and uh, sucking down some Fanta. You're just like, here's the TV, here's a bag of chocolates, here's something (laughs) to drink. You'll be good. You'll be fine. That's true. And also the youngest came in line just when iPads came in. So that was just brilliant, brilliant parenting. Sometimes I have to wonder, do we just actually need to go backwards instead of innovating more? The Tupperware parties, right? You literally would have like Mm. the MLMs now, they would have someone come to your house to sell you Tupperware. And then now we've kind of moved that ball a little bit where now we're saying, oh, buy glass or get bees wrap wax over the top. And sometimes I think the simplest practices are the most sustainable. What about you, Kate? Because you're out in the, well, we would call it the Wop Wops in New Zealand in the farmland, right? So do you Um, bike or you car? So we car everywhere. Uh, Cycling is more for... And this, this is, I find absolutely, you know, as I'm about to say this, I'm like, think about what you're about to say. We use it for exercise <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, for pleasure. Yeah. Um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, well, why can't you just ride to the grocery store? To be but fair, how I don't, far I don't, is that? The grocery store is probably, oh, it's, it's actually not that far, probably about seven to 10 miles. And you absolutely can cycle, but because we're on a farm when we're going out, we're going out and buying bulk animal feed. And I can't fit that on a bike. I could try. I'll send you the pictures. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the things I actually miss about living in a city is I would just walk to the grocery store every day or every two days and just pick up exactly what I needed. Mm -hmm. And here you could do it, but because of the time, right, the distance to get there, you're chewing up an hour and a half of your day. When we go to the grocery store, to be honest, it's more for like this kind of treat items or some fruit that is not in season or it just isn't available around here. So personally, I'm very intentional about the food, but my husband also and I also have this thing where we each get to pick out one thing for the week that we just that's that's our little treat, our little snack for ourselves. And the other better keep their hands off of it because that is World War Three in the making. <laughs> What's the treat that you would go? Literally, I'm going to spit on it if you touch it. Oh, it, I'm not going to lie. It varies week to week. So this week it's been oh. gummy bears. Like I've Oh, just been, I th- okay. Yeah. And for him this week, it's been salt and vinegar chips. Oh, he's my man. You can keep your gummy bears, but salt and vinegar chips. I love it. When, I love it when the vinegar is so strong, it slaps you in the face. Can mm-hmm. I just say, I, I hope my weekly challenge is not that I'm only allowed to choose one treat for the week. Do not make that my challenge, please. <laughs> you can have, you can have a half a treat this week. <gasps> no, 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 no. I promise right. I'll start off gently. We will get there. Okay. Lay it on me. Lay it on All me. Right. So in addition to wiping down tinfoil and plastic bags and either hand-me-down clothes or thrifted clothes, another thing my mother did and still does, and I've adopted this practice as well, is anytime there was a present, Christmas, your birthday, didn't matter, whether she was hosting or whether we were at someone else's place. Anytime there was a bow on the gift, she would take the bow and put it in a little bag to save so she could reuse it. And then same with the wrapping paper at our house. Christmas is very neat and orderly. We had to open it from the edges. And as a child, of course, oh you're just God. like, let me <gasps> let me open the gift. But she was all about reusing it. And I think we can all 
relate to the fact of just how pricey wrapping paper is. It's a bit mm-hmm. ridiculous for five seconds of joy. But if we weren't using wrapping paper, the other thing that we grew up with, because I know your daughter's birthday is coming up this week. So the challenge I'm putting out to you is to find something that you don't have to buy to wrap the present with. So that could be a newspaper. <laughs> it could be fabric. Oh, um, that's a good idea. One of my favorite things, again, I mean, the the wrapping paper thing was a, a bit much, but my grandmother would wrap our gifts in the the funny section of the newspaper, oh, like the comics. that's so cute. It, I mean, it kept us really entertained. It's a really good challenge. I'm up for that. So zero waste wrapping challenge for your daughter's birthday. I think I can do it. I'm really gutted that I've just taken a lot of secondhand clothes to a charity shop today because otherwise I could have just piled them into a pair of pants. I know. We need to report back, one, if you accomplish the challenge, and two, what her reaction was. Oh, I wonder if I should tape it. That's how you start TikTok. (laughs) Oh, dear. The whole unwrapping your Christmas presents, I am just amazed that your mother managed to get you to peel the tape off. To be fair, it was only something when we got much older. It was not something from when we were little kids because no one is controlling little kids around no, the holidays. But the, the ribbon and the bows, though, always were saved. Always saved, always reused. We may still have some from 40 years ago. I'm not going to lie. We may still be using them. I love that. I just had a really nice idea because we don't have any newspapers in our house. So I'm thinking, what can I wrap it in? But I was wondering if I could buy a little tea towel every year that she could have as little memory. Yeah. Too. She's going to be I mean, like, shit, am I on the dishes every night? I'm like, happy birthday. <laughs> she, surprise, you're on dish duty for the next month. <laughs> exactly. Look what I got you, a tea towel. Actually, that's a really crappy gift for 30. <laughs> I would say, I would that. Well, I'll push I'll push it further. I would say see if mm-hmm. you can do it zero waste where you don't have to buy anything. So whether that means speaking okay. to a neighbor, yeah. they might get the newspaper or a magazine. I would mm-hmm. say see, see if you can do it zero waste. Okay. I will. And I shall report back next week. Good challenge. All Thanks. right. Well, I think that's kind of it for today's show. What do you think? Yeah. I think so. I think it's been fun and I've enjoyed it. I've learned something new and I'm loving the whole memory lane. I feel like I'm going to start living my life in sepia tones, you know, that kind of old and <laughs> worldy with flickering film in front of me for the rest of the day. Yeah. When it, I, sometimes it seems like it would be the nicer route to go and then sometimes I think, nope, no thank you. I'm just not, no. not ready to go back that far in my life. Please do join us next week to see if Sarah accomplished her challenge. And for more, the good, the bad, and the laughable as we tackle our own sustainability journeys exclusively on Fireside in the Climate Collab Auditorium. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Guilty Greenie. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share, rate, and leave five-star review on Apple. It helps others find the podcast and get the climate conversation flowing. Guilty Greenie is an independently made podcast, so if you would like to support the podcast, please go to buymeacoffee.com backslash Guilty Greenie. The more support, the more content for your ears. Follow us on Instagram at Guilty Greenie and join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Make sure to share your experiences, the good, the bad, and the laughable. We'd love to hear from you. 
and let us know what topics you want to know more about. Until then, stay curiously green. Bye-bye. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing. I'm Sarah Ferris. Join me and my co-host, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program, Catherine Schweit. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've watched the reality of poor planning. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I really sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Our hope is that together we can stop the cries of never again fading into until next time. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery and I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.